0: What we're doing today is we're gonna kinda of continue on in this discussion through, through Genesis. And like I said, this is different from any way that I've actually done these, these creation series before, which I'm actually enjoying. It's forcing me to look at things a little different. And I'm trying to not hit the topics that Dr. Lyle is gonna be hitting. Normally you kinda, of t- you kinda of touch on the same things. Um, I'm trying to stay away from that. And uh, I'm doing a message today that honestly, I typically do not do in this series. Um, i typically don 't talk specifically about the flood of noah 's day because well honestly it, it can be really boring um, it 's really exciting for people like me because it involves rocks and i like I like rocks to me geology is fascinating, um, which should really explain it, sh- it should show you how amazingly stimulating a conversation with me probably is you know let's talk about mud you know it's just, just really good stuff uh, but so i'm going to try to approach this in a slightly different way and i want to i want to touch on t- on three things today first is um uh, what is it the bible says actually happened during this account the second one is do we actually see proof of that and third is why did that actually have to happen because it's interesting talking about a global flood, but oftentimes we don't talk about why that flood happened. That flood happened because of judgment. So we're going to kind of hit that at the same time. But when we're looking at this account, as we're walking through Genesis, this is the next major event that happens. We've talked about creation. we talked about the fall of man. This is the next major event. And there are three claims that the book of Genesis makes that have been basically uh, largely ignored by, by the church for a long time. People don't like to talk about them, and I'll explain to you why in a minute. And the first one is that God created. We've briefly looked at that. We're going to look at it more when Dr. Lyle visits. The second claim is that all nations, all nations, all races, all people, all languages can be traced back to eight people who came off the, came off the ark. All that can be traced back to them. That's a claim that the Bible makes. And the third, that the world was destroyed by a global flood and only eight people survived by building an ark filled with two of every land dwelling animal. People have a hard time with that one. I get it. And this is what we're going to look about, uh, we're going to look at today. Now, you might be asking yourself, why would we spend a lot of time looking at these things? Creation, the flood, this is not a salvation issue. If you don't want to believe in, cre- in creation, that does not it does not take away your salvation. If you don't want to believe in the flood it doesn't take away your salvation. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It doesn't say believe Jesus didn't say believe on me and in a literal 6-day creation and in a global flood and that all languages and people can be traced back to the to the uh to, to babel and and you know the eight people stepped off the ark. You have to believe all that or otherwise you don't get in heaven. That, none of that's there. But there is this very interesting passage in 2nd Peter that we need to pay attention to. And it says, this is my second letter to you, dear friends. In both of them, I have tried, now listen to the way he's phrasing this. I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember that the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, now listen to this, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. I want to stop right there just for a quick second. A scoffer is not someone outside of the church. A scoffer is someone who has been informed of the truth and refuses to believe. That is a scoffer. People outside of the church would be considered doubters and unbelievers. But in order to scoff at something, you have to have the truth presented to you. Then you can deny. These are people in the church. Paul is talking about people. I'm sorry. Peter is talking about people within the community of faith. These are people that might be sitting next to you. Might be family members. So scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say what happened, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again. See, they're tired of waiting. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Listen to this. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. That's creation. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. That's talking about the days of creation. That's actually outlined in there. It says, then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and the earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. You see, we're being told that in, towards the end, the church itself, people in the church itself are going to deny these two very important things that God created and that God destroyed. And that's interesting because the, that, 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 that battle right there, that's, when God created, that means that we are His. We're going to deny that we are his, and we are also going to deny that there is judgment coming. Those are the two things that we don't want to hear about. Now, isn't that interesting that people in the church, especially in the progressive, the modern progressive church, they don't want to hear that they belong to an almighty God. They don't want to hear that they are bound to his morality, to his choices, to his version of right and wrong. They want to hear that they can decide for themselves So they don't want to rely on the word of God. They want to rely on the word of men, but they still want heaven. And unfortunately, that's not the way that works. And the easiest way to deny the authority of the word of God is to deny the beginning. God didn't create us. I'm a monkey. Just ask my parents. You see, when you deny the beginning, it's very easy to deny the rest. And I think that's the point. I think that's why... We're told so definitively in the word how these things came about. Today, we're going to be looking at one of my personal favorites. It's the flood of Noah's day. It's an amazing section of scripture. I am not going to read it to you because it is three chapters long. Um, I mean, we could, but that'd be the end of the message. Uh, So, um, uh, and you'd fall asleep even faster than normal. Um, What I want to do is I want to cover the major points and hopefully, give you a little bit of information that may spur you on to doing some other reading on your own. I could not cover this in any. honestly, this particular passage dealing with the geology and the flood of Noah's Day, I could literally spend six to eight months every Sunday going through this. That's how much information there is, uh, 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 just in the scientific realm and in the theological realm, on this particular topic. But unless you like rocks you know it's not really going to be that interesting for you but here's something to remember as you're thinking about this when it, when you're talking about history because this is what we're really talking about we're talking about biblical history and global history we're looking back in time and here's something very important to remember history cannot be observed we weren't there we can't observe it it must be interpreted by those who were not there based on the evidence that remains all archaeological, historical sciences are based off of an interpretation of what they're seeing, and there are two basic ways to look at things. We look at things through a worldview. Everyone does. We look at things through a biblical worldview, and when we see the world around us, we can see God's handiwork in the world around us because we're looking through the lens of Scripture at what the world is, uh, at the way the world is built. The secular world, the world that doesn't want anything to do with the Bible, will refuse adamantly to give any kind of credence to what the Bible is saying. They'll go to great lengths to not even come close to what the Bible is saying. It's really kind of annoying. Earlier in the 1900s, there have been been several major discoveries in the 1900s that kind of rocked the archaeological world. They don't like it. One of the things that has always been prevalent in the, in the fields of archaeology is that Sodom and Gomorrah didn't exist and the Hittite nation, nation didn't exist. Those are all things that are in your Bible and they're in the Old Testament. And they basically say these didn't exist. They were made up by people who wrote the Bible. They didn't actually happen. Now, here's, here's what actually happened. And this is not a joke. There were some archaeologists who realized that in the back of their Bibles, there were maps. Maps. And they were like, that's weird. There's maps and there's, there's, there's dots on these maps where these nations, these cities are supposed to be. Let's go dig there. So they did. Guess what they found? They found the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and they uncovered the nation of the Hittites. They were like, wow, uh, we discovered a new society that no one knew existed. They were exactly where the Bible said they would be. And the societies were exactly set up the way the Bible said they were. So the nations will go to, the secular uh, uh, world will go to great lengths to try to avoid giving the Bible any authority when it comes to history. Even though it's the greatest history book that has ever been written. And that has proven itself over and over and over again. So this is important because we all have natural biases that point us towards A viewpoint. The question is, whether or not, there's enough evidence to support that viewpoint. So the first thing we need to do is understand what, what are the claims that the Bible is making in regard to the flood of Noah's day. And the first one is this. God says, look, he's talking to Noah. He says, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. Seems a bit harsh. This was a pre-announced judgment. Noah knew it was happening. Everyone who knew Noah knew it was happening. This was, this was a prophecy given. God told me to build this boat because there's a flood coming. Everyone's going to die. No one wanted to believe him. Isn't that funny? So he said, look, a judgment is coming. Now it says, build a large boat from cypress wood, waterproof it with tar inside and out, and uh, then construct the decks and stalls throughout this, its interior. Make the boat about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 445 uh, feet high, 450 feet high. That's a tall boat. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the uh, put the door on the side. Remember that the door, one door on the side, and build three decks inside the boat: lower, middle, and upper. Skipping down to verse 19, it says, Bring a pair of every kind of animal, male and female, into the boat with you and keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of small animal that scurries on the ground will come to you to be kept alive. God's sending them. I have a hard time with two dogs. Can you just imagine you get up, Noah's wife's ticked. Now here we go again. There's 850 animals out there. You just had to be a righteous man. Be sure, to, uh, be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Exactly as God commanded him. So we know how big the ark was and we know what its purpose was. The flood was coming. The ark was going to be built to save Noah's family and a few of every kind of land, animal, and bird. Just build the boat and survive a global catastrophe. That doesn't sound far-fetched at all, does it? It it, it does. And I completely understand why people in the secular world go, that is the most idiotic thing I've ever heard in my life. Build a boat and survive a global flood? I mean, there are great movies that have been made about this. And by the way, if you've ever watched the the Russell Crowe movie, The Ark, please, there are no angels that were turned into rock people. It's not how that worked. I had such high hopes for that movie because I liked Russell Crowe. And I was like, oh, man. It is what it is. So now the second question that we have to deal with is, can we see evidence for the flood? Now, if the entire world is covered in water and it's a catastrophe of that size, we should be able to see around the world evidence in, in the rocks. Sorry, we're talk about rocks for a few minutes. We should be able to see proof of this. And this is where the scientific community goes, la, 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 la. So here's the first question. Is there enough water on the entire planet planet to cover the entire earth including the mountains? I and mean, that's isn't all the water in the in the oceans? I and mean, if there was enough water to cover the earth wouldn't it still be there? Well, no. Here's something interesting. Most people don't know that every continent on the world in the world is actually floating on water. There's water underneath there 's a layer of water underneath the crust of the earth everywhere around the world. We are all floating on on a certain amount of water underneath all of the continents. I know that doesn 't mean that if we get everyone on one side they 're just going to capsize okay islands don 't float there 's dirt that goes all the way down okay but there is actually so much water on the earth that if you were to push the mountains down and push the seabeds up the entire uh, 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 surface of the planet would be covered under two miles of water two miles of water so when the bible says the fountains of the great deep burst forth he's talking about all the water that was under is now up and when you get that much water moving those mountains they don't stay mountains they just get sheared right off and there's actually geological evidence for that that i won't go into If you're a rock person, talk to me later, because it's fascinating. We'll talk. (laughs) So here's something that's interesting. In Psalm 104, David writes this. You clothed the earth with floods of water, water that covered even the mountains. Listen to this. At your command, the water fled. At the sound of your thunder, it hurried away. The mountains rose. And the valleys sank to the levels you decreed. You set the firm boundary for the seas so they would never again cover the earth. Even way back then, they knew God pushed the mountains up and the seabeds down to let the water recede from the earth. God did that. By his word. Now there is actually evidence for this all over the earth. All over the earth. There's evidence for this. Now, um, g- rock people, not the angels in the movie, okay? People who like rocks today, geologists, have studied rocks from all around the world. Here's an interesting thing. In Africa, if you notice all those bright blue areas, not the dark blue ones, but the bright blue ones, those are lakes, those are dried lake bays that no longer exist. Around each of those are fishing villages, Remnants of fishing villages. Even in the Sahara, up in the Sahara, there are remnants of fishing villages in, uh, uh, deep in the desert. There is actually remnants of cities that are hundreds of miles inland off of the, off of the west coast of Africa that used to be harbor towns. So the water was so far inland that they would build a city and it was basically a port city And as the water receded, they abandoned the city. The cities are there. They've been found. Around each of those lakes, there are, there are remnants of, of whales and fish bones and fishing, and fishing villages. For hundreds of years, there was water in the Sahara. This is amazing. How would water get that far inland? Oh, wait a minute. As the water receded, it's collected in the low-lying areas. This makes sense. It makes sense in a biblical worldview. So the issue of water is not an issue. The question is, what would that much water do? Think about a couple miles of water moving really, really fast across the continents. What would it do? What would happen to the earth itself? Now, I, 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 completely forgot to do this. Normally I get a big plastic container and I mix in a bunch of, a bunch of dirt before the service and you can see it start to layer. It's called, it's a process called hydrologic sorting. It means sorted by water. If you get a bunch of dirt and you mix it up with water and it's moving fast enough, as it's going along, the heavier stuff will move down, the lighter stuff will go off, and it will actually separate. It's it's really cool when you see it. And you can tell when it's hydrologic sorting because all of the layers are perfectly delineated between. There's no like weird, weird grouping in between there. They're just all laid down at the same time. You t- that's how you know that this was done by a lot of water moving very fast. Now, we should be able to see that around the world. The cool part is we can. Anyone ever been to the Grand Canyon? I still want to go. The Grand Canyon is thousands of square miles, thousands of square miles, called the Colorado Plateau. At the top, it's just flat, which is weird for something that's that high above sea level. But everywhere you go in the canyon, you see these extremely clear layers dropping down through and what they say is that those layers were built up over millions and millions and millions of years. That each layer shows millions of years of history. Now, I asked, uh, I got online with a, a member of the U.S. Geological Survey once, and they were they were actually taking questions at this time. And so I got on online with a, a, a member of the USGS, and as we were talking, I said, Now, just curious, the millions and millions of years of, of soil deposition in the Grand Canyon, at what point in time did it only rain red limestone? For a thousand foot thick layer. And at what point in time did it only rain to peat sandstone at the bottom for a 45 foot layer? He responded, I'm sorry we can't continue this conversation. I'm not kidding. That was the response. Because when you have a layer of only sand, only white sandstone that's filled with boulders. And it's like 35 plus foot thick. Are you saying that for a million years that was the only dirt that ever showed up in the Grand Canyon? Because that layer of sandstone runs from the Grand Canyon to England. It's already been, it's been proven. That's a lot. And there are other layers that are hundreds and hundreds of feet thick, all one type of soil. That only happens in water. It only happens in water. And you're talking about an area over 24,000, uh, 2,400 square miles. Um, that's a lot. So the yellow area that you're looking at right there, that's just the North American deposition of the Tapete Sandstone. That's the bottom of the Grand Canyon. The red dot, that was as small as I dared make it. If you, incre- if you decrease that by 10 times, that's the size of the Grand Canyon. I needed you to be able to see it. Okay, Um, how does that happen? That happens by a large amount of water moving really fast across a really big area of land. It's kind of cool. But a lot of geologists will say, well, there's hundreds of millions of years between those layers. Don't doubt us on this one uh, because there's no way you can prove that we're wrong. Well, let me ask you something. If you were to take a layer of soil and you laid it down and you put, say, oh, I don't know... 50 layers on top of it. How easy do you think it is to bend rock? So you're talking about rock. I understand why the kid's crying. So let me ask you something. How easy do you think it is to bend two or 300 feet of rock without breaking it? it should be simple, right? You just... Mm, and- you can't. So how do you get, if you were to see huge layers, lots of soil layers, and they were bent in weird sections, the only way that happens geologically is they were bent where they were still soft, which means all of them were created at the same time, and then through some sort of upheaval, mountain range and stuff like that, they bend. Now, wouldn't it be neat if we saw that all over the world? Okay. That's not, that's not like permanent marker on a, on a mountain. Those are soil layers. Now look how tall that is. Now this next one, those are all soil layers. They're all bent. Now what you can't see is, uh, if you looked way down here, there's this tiny little, I might actually be able to, uh, uh to show you this here. Um, right here, that's a person. So we're not talking about a couple of inches of soil. We're talking about hundreds of feet that were just bent like they weren't even there. This is called folded mountain, and yes, it is a mountain, and yes, it has been folded. And you see all the layering. That means that that mountain mountains are created through geologic upheaval. I means something underneath the, underneath the ground pushed it up. That's how you get a mountain. That mountain was created when all the soil layers were still soft. It was pushed up to that amount and then folded on top of itself while all the layers were still soft. So you're talking a few months after the flood, very rapidly happening. Here's one of my favorite ones this is the Andes. That's a mountain range. Not a mountain, a mountain range. That's so cool. It's like God went, watch this. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> the idea of a heavenly accordion just sounds weird. <laughs> and this is actually out uh, in the Grand Canyon area. This is, one of my, this is one of my favorite photos. And no, I did not take this photo, but I, I really want to visit this, visit this spot. Isn't that cool? Now, here's the neat thing. You see that line towards the top? That's where the initial water level came down to and stopped for a period of time. That's, that's what creates those types. And then it receded the rest of the way. That is so cool. Just so beautifully bent. These are found all over the world. All over the world. These are found. And people go, huh? Huh? Like that's, that's the, that's the geologic answer for all the science, all the classes that you sit through? Huh? It's clear that these were all made at the same time and then bent through some process. Now, the people who want to keep saying, no, 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 there's hundreds of millions of years between these layers. They have to deal with other things like this. That's a tree. And you might not be able to see it, but that's a hammer. Sitting next to it for scale. Um... So, these are called polystrate fossils, and they're tree trunks that are growing straight up through rock layers. Rock layers that are supposed to be hundreds of millions of years apart. So, in this picture, I don't know if you can see them all, but there's three. Now, either those are the hardiest trees that just would not give up. I will stand here for 800 million years and turn to rock before I dissolve. Or, a process that we already know that when there is a massive mudslide, a massive movement of soil, the trees are uprooted, duh, and they're tumbling in the dirt and the water, and when it stops, the tree's like, and then they fossilize inside the soil layers, showing us without any doubt that all of these soil layers were made at the same time through a monster flood. And the cool thing is, most of these polystrates are found towards the bottom of mountain ranges. So when people say, uh, oh, it was the local flood. So the local flood moved the mountain? That's That's a flood. Or did the mountain show up later, after the flood? They don't want to talk about that because they need the billions of years in order to make evolution work. Once you start realizing that the world is not that old... Evolution falls apart fast, so the geological community is not willing to look at these things realistically for what they actually are. Now, the other things you find in these fossil layers are really cool. These are, these are, these soil layers are animal fossils. Now, how many of you guys have ever found one of those in the beach or something like that? You see a little fish or a shell or something like that. People say, oh, those died and then they were buried and then they turned into fossils. Well, see, in order to get a fossil, you have to not only bury something. See, if you bury something in the ground today, it rots. Right? This is not rocket science. You have To make a fossil, you have to bury it very specifically. You have to bury it under, uh, uh, under certain circumstances. It has to be under a lot of soil with a lot of water on top of it because a fossil is made as the water is filtering through the ground. It takes away the flesh and leaves the minerals that the water was carrying. That's how a fossil is created. That's why they're rock and not flesh. It's not, it's not bone. It's actually dirt. Well, you tell me if you think these fossils were created through you know, some sad event or maybe something that happened really fast. That one was having lunch. Now, maybe he pulled a little mama cast and choked on a ham sandwich and died. I'm not sure. Some of you have no idea what I just said. It's totally fine. But those of you who do, rock on. Okay? Uh, This guy is probably like, I'm trying to eat here. Of course, he has an Italian accent. It's the way it works. Um this one's having a baby. Now I've heard a lot of women I've heard that a lot of women during childbirth are just like, kill me now. But I've never heard anyone yell, Fossilize me. Now, fossils of animals eating and having children are common. Common all around the world. There are other types of fossils that you see. These, uh, this is very typical of larger dinosaurs. Um, these are called stressed positions. So when something dies and it just falls over, ah, it's not contorted like this. The, the, when you see things like this, this is something fighting for life against something. So it's being moved in a lot of water, and this is why this is the, the type of position this is. You see dinosaurs fossilized like this all over the world because they're struggling to stay alive and finally they give up and their body is contorted by the fast moving water and mud and that's how they end up in these positions you also find what are called fossil graveyards hundreds and hundreds of the same animals now i'm going there there's a place uh, it's called the hell creek formation and the, in there there is a uh, i can't remember uh it was a type of cephalopod dinosaur um sauropod dinosaur i'm sorry um and there was a herd of a couple of hundred of them and they found hundreds of these dinosaurs fossilized in this little cavern and from a christian standpoint we're like yeah the herd was probably moving the floodwaters came and pushed them all into the cavern, and that's how they died that's not the way that's not what the geologists came up with And i'm not kidding this is the published version that they were crossing a stream and one of them fell drowned and died and all of the other ones came behind it tripped fell drowned and died I was like, you got to be kidding me. These are dumb animals. You'd think the first one would be like, nope. It's insane. But at the same time, this is not uncommon. So check this out. You can get to places like up on tops of every mountain range in the earth. Every mountain range in the earth has marine fossils at the tops of mountains. Every, there's no exception. Every mountain range has marine fossils in the top. So, this is a set of fossils found in the Chilean desert, high altitude. They're whales. It's a group of whales. I have the, uh, the, the article for this particular one because I wanted to see what they said. And this is, um, I'm not kidding. So, this particular fossil site, there are four layers of marine fossils that have been found. So they started digging. They found a bunch of whales. They went down farther. They found marine dolphins. and They kept going down and down. And they found distinct layers, not, not all at the same time, like one layer and then like a period of time, another layer, period of time, another layer. And this is what they said. The whales all died suddenly and then washed ashore. And what's even weirder is that it seemed to have happened four times. So initially, a bunch of fish just died and were washed ashore in the same place. And then another period of time later, there was a bunch of uh, of ocean dolphins that died suddenly and washed ashore in the same place. And this happened until all the whales were above it. So sad. I have a different question Why are they a couple hundred miles inland on a mountain? And how did that happen? Four times. They won't talk about that. This is the actual article if you want to read it. It's really interesting. It Let you know how desperate they are to not give credence to the biblical account. This is a 35 meter long whale skeleton. Um, I, I'm, I'm, this was in the um, Chilean mountains as well, way up top. Looks like something out of Star Wars. Here's another whale mountain on top of the Andes. This is another school of whales, whales in another mountain range. I don't know if you realize it, but whales don't walk well on land. So, I mean, granted, they got to, you know, pop up out of the water to breathe, but they weren't like, boop. I want to go climb a mountain. And all of his friends are like, I want to go, too. It doesn't happen that way. (laughs) It's not the way that works. Well, they had to learn to walk somehow. Fish don't walk! I mean, granted, there's that one really weird one that like, like walks across to another piece of land, but it doesn't you know, get up on land, go to a bar, smoke a cigarette, and have a drink with you. This is, this is just ridiculous stuff. Here's another set of whale bones. Uh, this is in the Sahara, by the way. Yes, they've been finding, finding whales in the Sahara. Uh, and these are the types of different shell fossils that you find on top of Everest. Yeah, people who have climbed Everest have brought back fossils of marine animals. It's pretty amazing. But it's exactly what you would expect to see after a global flood. This shouldn't surprise anyone. It's exactly what we'd expect to see. If it was true that the entire world was flooded, then all of the sea creatures would have been caught up in that same event. And they would have been they would have they would have been been buried under these circumstances. And then when God rose the mountains and pushed the valleys down, those Fossilized remains would have come with them. It is exactly according to what Scripture tells us would have happened. But the secular world will go to great details to argue this and come up with amazing stories as to how this could have happened. Now, the last question is, another, is a pretty obvious one. Could you even fit the right number of animals in the ark for the amount of species that we have on earth today? It's a question I get actually quite a bit. There's a lot of animals, just the the amount of dogs that are out there today. Could you possibly fit all those on the ark? Well, the cool thing is today we have this thing called genetics. And one of the things I showed you a couple weeks ago is it has already been proven that every species of dog on the planet can be genetically traced back to two wolf-like creatures, two wolf-like creatures only a few thousand years ago. This has been genetically proven. I'm not making anything up. Look it up for yourself. So how big was this ark? If you look, that's 747. That's, that's pretty big. That, that, that's a good-sized boat. But now, it's great to you know talk about it and think about it, but can you still fit all those animals in that ark? Well, if you were to take things like the horse kind, the sparrow kind, the dog kind, the cat kind, I don't know why you would take cat kind, but you know what I mean. Noah had an opportunity, but he just didn't take it. So if you actually look at that and then genetically work backwards as to how many animals would you had to have had in order to create all the species that are available today, scientists have actually done this study to try to prove the ark wrong, that they actually ended up finding out was you only needed between sixteen to 18,000 pairs. Now you think, that's a lot of animals. Well, how big was the ark, and could you fit them there? So if you think about it, the ark could have fit roughly... 522 railroad cars. That means if you were to take the average size animal, which is about the size of a sheep, they could fit 125,280 animals that size. Um, There was enough room. There was enough room. Not an issue. Weird, God knew what he was doing. And the cool thing is, modern science has actually shown us that this is completely possible. So when you start looking at this, you see that there was a promise made that the entire earth validates that that promise happened, that that judgment happened. You can see the remnants of it literally all over the earth. And even modern science and genetics shows us that this is absolutely reliable. Now, can I say definitively that this is exactly how it happened? No. You know why? Because I wasn't there. I've got to judge history by the information available to me. And the information available to me is telling me that I can trust the Bible. I can trust the Bible from the very first page to the very last page. Which brings me to the last point. Why did this have to happen? Why did God do this? In Genesis 6, starting in verse 5, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth. And he saw that, saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made man and put them on earth. It broke his heart. It broke his heart. Mankind had devolved into something so terrible that God didn't see an option but to hit the reset button. Now, if you want to learn a little bit more about what those societies may have been like, there are two books that I'll recommend. The first one is called The Ancient Book of Jasher. And no, Jasher wasn't the author. It just means a a written history of the pre-flood world. This is from Jewish history. And the other one is the first book of Enoch. Remember, Enoch lived pre-flood. So we, we have some of that information there. I would encourage you to read them. No, they're not scripture, but they're all mentioned in scripture as reliable historical sources. So it would be important for us to get familiar with what these people were saying in their uh, observations of history. We love to describe God as our love, our joy, our healer, our provider, and our heavenly father. We love that. But we forget the Bible also describes God as righteous, vengeful, our judge, and jealous. The Bible describes God that way. God's word describes God in that way. God cannot allow sin to go unpunished, and he will not allow sin to go unpunished. The standards of God are not only real, they are without remorse. Listen to Genesis 7, 11 through 16. It says, when Noah was 600, years, uh, was 600 years old, on the 17th day of the second month all the underground waters erupted from the earth and the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky the rain continued to fall for 40 days and for 40 nights that that, that very day noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his son shem, uh, uh, shem ham and japheth and their wives with them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal domestic and wild large and small along with birds of every kind 2 by 2 they came into the boat representing every living thing that breathes now listen to this very carefully a male and female of each kind entered just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. And I think this is one of the most important things to remember about this account. I don't say story because a story is made up. An account is history. How many doors were on the ark? One. Who closed it? What did God do before the door was closed? He sent a message out to the world that judgment is coming. Get right with me. Here's something we don't talk about. There was room on the ark for more. It's estimated that 100 to 200 people could have come with him. Isn't that interesting? Now, that may or may not have been God's plan. I'm not worried about that. But God told the world that judgment was coming. His standards were violated, and he made a way of escape. A way for us to escape the judgment. And that way only had one door. And when the time was right, when the season had come, God closed the door himself. The door, this is interesting, was too big for man to close on their own. This is called a pre-incarnate Christophany or a type of Christ. The revelation of what Christ would do before Christ came. It's a picture of what's coming. When God shut that door, there were only two people left on the earth. Those in the boat and those outside the boat. Those in the boat were safe. Those outside the boat were safe we not. And there was no changing your mind and trying to get in. It wasn't going to happen. Because remember, the opening at the top was too small. There was only one way in, only one way out. God's judgment has fallen and will fall again on this world. It will happen. And we need to remember, That when Christ came, Christ came to not only tell us and teach us about the standards of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, but also the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the faith that is now available to us to find salvation and redemption and sanctification. But there's only one way, and that's him. He told us all this was going to happen. He was the door. He even describes himself as the door. I am the gate. No one comes in but by me. No one, only one way in. All roads do not lead to heaven. All faiths are not the same. If it is not biblical Christianity, it does not save. I don't how. I don't care how good a Muslim they are, how good a Buddhist they are, how good a a, a, a Hindu they are. It's irrelevant. There's one door, one way, one path, and his name is Jesus. That's it. Our job is the same job that Noah had. To tell people. Noah was building the very vessel of salvation. We call it the church. The church is not the building, the church is the community. We are to build this to be an example to the world so that they may find the promise and escape judgment it is the only path and just like in the days of noah when the time is right when the season has come on us god will say now jesus will return and the door of salvation is closed when that happens there's no more choice that's the end the option has been fulfilled you are either in the boat or not in the boat choose wisely. Your friends, your family, your loved ones are either saved or they're not. There's no other option. We're supposed to be a living testimony of the saving grace of God through the work of Christ on the cross. The question I would leave you. So where are you? Where are you in this mix? Are you in the boat? You out of the boat, are you standing on the ramp under the water?